Welcome to Bat Therapy, exploring your favorite comic book characters through the lens of clinical psychology. Be a fly on the wall or a bat in the cave, listening in on a friendship built out of a love for talking Batman, comics, and the everyday struggle to achieve mental health and happiness. We're your hosts, clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown and comic enthusiast and nerd aficionado Keaton Hopkins. This podcast is about providing education and understanding, and it's not a replacement for mental health treatment or support. If you're needing help, go to bat-therapy.com for resources. All right, so today we are going to be talking about two films. One is the Academy Award-winning Suicide Squad, and the other is James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Yay! For those of you that don't know, the first Suicide Squad, which was not met with the happiest of reviews, it won an Academy Award for Best Makeup. Uh, I forgot about that. Also, (laughs) the timing was really great as well. So Trump's cabinet and his campaign, the staff changed up so much that they got the nickname The Suicide Squad. (laughs) (laughs) that's not what you want that's not what you want we're gonna be talking about that today why that is not what you want i mean aside from from the obvious anything called the suicide squad not so great i mean even in in i forget which movie but they're like we don't call ourselves that this is (laughs) what is it task force x task force x right task force x and the, the the thing that's funny so today's source material is definitely just the two suicide squad movies that are in the DC extended the cinematic DC extended universe but if you were to look up like the comic book suicide squad the the number of characters that have been in this group is insane like if you list it out it definitely looks like a CVS receipt because the list just goes on and on and on to the point that some writers would actually make up characters just so they could kill them all Oh, it's like Star Trek, where you don't want to be the red shirt. Exactly. Suicide Squad is a very, it's very much a a comic book and movies that are filled with red shirts, because a lot of people die. A lot of people die. More in the second movie than the first. Oh man, the second movie, just just a heads up for anyone who hasn't (laughs) watched in a while, because I watched them pretty much in a row. And the second one's definitely gorier than the the first. I was like, whoa, okay. Right. I mean, it's yeah. not it's not like uh, um, it's not like Homelander and the boys and and that Oof. that level of gore, but it it's kind of it was like the first step toward <laughs> toward that right. kind of gore. But yeah, gosh, we haven't really talked about the boys yet, but they're getting impressive with just how gory they can be. As I, I didn't, it's hard for like, me to watch. Oh yeah, it's it's rough. It's rough. And this movie had some rough some pretty gory moments as well as far as uh roughness. The first one not so much because mm-hmm. it had that PG thirteen rating for it, but the second one I feel like James Gunn went all out and he's like, I'm gonna do everything in this movie that Disney wouldn't let me do in Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> so he <laughs> bring me that bag of blood. Like he just he just went all in. And I remember the uh, so for those of you that have never that are listening and have never watched these movies, I'm just going to say it spoiler alert. <laughs> Pretty massive spoiler alert. And for those of you that have no idea what we're talking about, so the Suicide Squad are a super hero team if you will made up of villains uh, amanda waller put together this group of villains in the comic books they were started off she basically kidnapped them from other prisons and then brought them together and it was like 40 of them in the beginning and then they host she basically hosted tryouts and in process of elimination seven survived oh god sounds about right amanda waller is something else Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to come back around and do an entire podcast episode all about mm-hmm. Amanda Waller because I don't know like you talk about people being cold as ice, but she's absolute zero. Like it's <laughs> oh, oh my god, like she has no problem just getting down there in the mud and just being the lowest of the low. Like she would yeah. like in Dante's Inferno, Dante would be in her Suicide Squad. Like that's how low she goes it's made up of like 
just the, the worst of the worst. And she has no idea sinking to the lowest level. And so she forms Task Force X. And Task Force X is just, like I said, it's made up of various villains and in the comic books they come from all over so you'll see characters in the suicide squad that are villains of every single dc superhero at some point like they just show up out of nowhere and it's like and it's in constant rotation because people are getting killed and they're being killed not because they're on super dangerous missions but also because in order to be in the suicide squad you have to get a bomb implanted into your head as you do so you were mentioning coercion i do believe a bomb in the head is one way to coerce people so yeah so so here's this thing that that we have with suicide squad is so keaton and i when we were talking about hey what topics are we going to do and keaton came up with the really great idea of suicide squad and like what you know, what is everything going on behind the scenes when you're forced to do something? And so so here's the annoying thing about me as a psychologist is I get very <laughs> technical about how things are worded. You can ask my clients if you knew who they were, which of course you don't, but I get very technical about how we use words. And so when it comes to this, technically people in, su- in the Suicide Squad have choices that they can make. However, they are heavily coerced <laughs> in it, like lots of, of, of physical coercion to essentially force your hand to be more likely to pick certain options that are going to be in Amanda Waller's favor. And so Amanda Waller, she's working for the government. She's essentially like, we're going to do whatever it takes to keep the government afloat. Um, which, yeah, she does a bunch of sketchy stuff. I mean, I, th- I think it depends. And, and Keaton, you know things beyond the movies better than I do. But, you know, in some cases, she doesn't ask. And all of a sudden, you have a bomb implanted in your head and you're going to work for us. Right. Uh, but I think there are other times where there's a little bit of like extra coercion where it's like, hey, we're having a conversation about how you should do this for me. Oh, and by the way, for some reason, she's always threatening people's kids. Which seems, I don't know. All right. Yeah, especially in yeah, especially in the in the in the movies, like comic yeah. comic book about Waller. You're absolutely right. They'll just wake up with a bomb in their head, and she's like, "Do what I say." And then there's always someone in the group that doesn't believe her. Like, whatever, yeah. you're bluffing, and then their head explodes. But once again, that's that's proof <laughs> that technically people have a choice. They, (laughs) right? Like, I I mean, technically, is it a wonderful choice? Absolutely not. But (laughs) but you you have the option to choose to do what she says or have your brain explode. (laughs) Yes, yes, those are the those are the options on the table. Normally, it's between the strawberry or the blueberry pop tarts. (laughs) But today, it's head or no head. Exactly. So yeah, technically. There are options. They're just really, really awful ones because, yeah, they're nicknamed the Suicide Squad because she's she's never asking you to do something that she would say send highly trained United States military to do. Uh, no, these are the things that they don't want to lose those assets to. So they're, I mean, people don't really care if you come back. And I don't know how much it ranges, but at least in the movies, it was like, 10 years off your sentence and one guy was like okay i've got like 200 and something some years yeah yeah and yeah and yeah in the movies if you complete the mission it's 10 years off of your sentence and a lot of the times the the villains won't even bother because they're like i have 500 years i'm not no i'm not doing i'm not doing this this is absolutely ridiculous but going back to your coercion thing that's when amanda waller does her best work like in the second movie particularly with the character bloodsport bloodsport's like i'm not joining your suicide squad Mm -hmm. like screw you i'm not doing anything and in the movies they do have a choice they don't just she doesn't just put the bomb in their head without their permission they have to agree to it i guess i think it depended it did. That's true because uh, Michael Rooker's character, I don't think he wanted to go yeah. at all, but he still ended up going. But with Deadshot, not De- not Deadshot, Bloodsport, I'm sorry, I get them mixed up. They're such similar characters. <laughs> <laughs> well, with Bloodsport, he's like, I'm not going. And Amanda Wallace is like, that's too bad. Your daughter shoplifted and she's underage, but you know what? 
I'm going to send her to maximum security prison. Mm-hmm. And guess what? In this maximum security prison, they die. And like it, she just drops it. And she, like I said, she's cold as ice because she does. She will say that to them with mm-hmm. a smile on her face. Yeah. So it's interesting, though. Essentially, what is going on with all this coercion is cognitive dissonance. So with our okay. top, yeah. So with our topic today, I delve back into stuff I haven't looked at in years, but used to love learning about, which is social psychology. So essentially, how do people tend to respond in different scenarios? Just you know, people in general. So essentially, you have these situations where, for most, if not all, of these characters, due to the coercion. They have cognitive dissonance, meaning that their beliefs and their actions are in dissonance, are in conflict with one another. So I'm doing something that is not consistent with what I want, what I believe, what I value. And it's really interesting because I just kept thinking about all the different nuances of this. Because if you think about it, she doesn't have to give them time off their sentence. True. I have a theory. I have a theory about that. Okay. So there's this experiment that they did where they had people do a really, really boring task. I forget what the task is, but it's super boring. And then they paid the person either $1 or $20. And then they told them to lie to the next person coming in and tell them that it was an interesting task. And... So what the, don't you love, these experiments are so fun. Um, (laughs) So what they found was when they asked people to rate how interesting they found the task later on, the people that, uh, the the people that were paid $1 actually rated the task as more interesting as the people who had been paid $20. And so the, the theory behind that was essentially that they lied and they needed an explanation for why they were lying and one dollar is just a dollar versus 20 where it's like okay well I lied to them because I got 20 bucks versus I mean it was only a dollar so then the person like that conflict inside like was the dollar really enough to be dishonest ends up shifting people into actually changing how they viewed what they were doing. And so I kind of wonder if this is Amanda Waller being like super devious and like giving (laughs) this little tiny bit of something that they would want, but not a lot of it, not enough to, to say, oh, she's bribing me. So I'm coercing you, but I'm also giving you a little bit of something. So maybe it'll like kind of change their opinions of it over time. Like that's that's funny because in my head I'm just imagining like people that said no to the Suicide Squad off are walking around and there's just a random guy in the cafeteria just like man you know what's a long time ten years man <laughs> I've been working here for ten years that is an entire lifetime I tell you what I wouldn't do to get ten years of my life back like constantly feeding them <laughs> feeding them that just so they're like man. I guess 10 years off my 500 year sentence would be pretty good because after that, I only have to do like 50 more and I can be Mm -hmm. out of here. (laughs) So that's the thing is it's not nothing, but it's also not a lot. So yeah, it's like, it's something, but it's not something. So it like, yeah, it can create this like interesting kind of internal struggle that can actually potentially lead people to seeing things differently over time so I can't help but wonder if that's why there's this like puny little offer that's attached because all she has to do is be like there's a bomb in your head do it or do it or your head explodes this this honestly it kind of reminds me of like Rotten Tomato movie reviews like you (laughs) people people will look at a Rotten Tomato movie review and they're like you know what that's a good movie Right. And it's they, they might not have even seen it. Right. But they're like, oh, I'm not going to see that. It got it got bad reviews on mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes. So ugh. but it's like, oh, no, this one's certified fresh. You should do this mission for Amanda Waller. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many different things that can change our perception of what's going on. 
And just in general, so the reason that cognitive dissonance is such a big thing is that it's really uncomfortable to do things or experience things that are inconsistent with what we think and and what we believe and what we naturally are drawn toward. It's why it's why most of us um, are skewed and and tend to only listen to the type of news that shares from our own political views, for example, um, and why things honestly like algorithms for Facebook and whatnot are so dangerous because it just feeds into that more and more and more and more. Uh, because yeah, I mean we we don't like that 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 feeling that comes from that conflict. So we try and find ways around it. And and part of it too, I wonder if she's also like gassing up the villains themselves. Because I remember at the beginning of the first movie, she says, I finally found them the worst of the worst. (laughs) And I wonder if any of those villains heard that and felt good about themselves because never, ever, ever, ever in the history of anything has someone said, you know, who's a really bad villain that you don't want to mess with captain boomerang right like no (laughs) one's ever said that but deep down he's like yeah i'm in task force x i'm the worst of the worst like no you're not you're you're really not right but being in the suicide squad definitely puts you among elite villains i suppose except they can't be that great of villains because they got caught right like (laughs) yeah i mean like that is a good point well and i mean it just goes to show that that there's almost nothing in life, even when you go to these really terrible extremes. And and this isn't to take away from suffering or horrible things whatsoever. But most of the time, there's always going to be some sort of pro and some sort of con, some sort of cost, some sort of benefit. So yeah, I mean, even... Even for this like really, really terrible situation, for some of them, it might it might be like a hey, hey, look, look, you know, look how badass I am. Amanda Waller picked me. I also feel like there's not a lot that goes into who gets on the team. Like she does. I, like why Amanda was the Waller there? What? <laughs> we're gonna we're we're gonna do a five part segment. <laughs> of this podcast all about <laughs> weasel and his, his so for those five of you that, of that oh my god that was the second movie right <laughs> yes. okay so in the second movie for those who don't remember who haven't seen it there's literally just this like human-sized weasel <laughs> person but more weasel than person i think and yeah, it like you never find out why the weasel's there. It, actually, the weasel is like a hysterical little tiny little subplot. Uh, that right, I just love. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like you've got this like weasel guy there, and and yeah, they don't seem to they don't seem to have rhyme or reason to everyone that's that's there. Like they you don't. don't see why why that and, person. Right, because every single time they always have a couple people on the suicide squad that are loose cannons that completely don't care whether they live or die. Mm-hmm. Harley Quinn, for example, <laughs> if I had to pick someone to save the world, I wouldn't pick her on general principle. It's like she got her ideals from the Joker, right? And, and it's, she, she just doesn't care about anything at all. And, and I don't it's agree so with funny. that. She, I don't know. Like it's, yeah. And that's, and honestly, it's one of the issues I have with the Suicide Squad because they just suddenly made them this big, ha- they always turn to try to make them into this big, happy family. I'm like, that's not the Suicide Squad. Like, I remember in the first movie, uh, at one point, Harley Quinn is getting away and Amanda Waller says, hey, if you shoot her right now, oh, right, yeah. you, you go free. Deadshot would have shot her five times over. It wouldn't, he wouldn't have even considered it. Right? He's like, nope, I didn't shoot her because I know you're lying. Uh, no, he would have shot her and he would have been like, I knew you were lying. That's what would have actually happened. But in this, like, nope, <laughs> we stick together. Like, and, and it's, it's, it is funny because the, the movies, they, I won't say the, the, especially the first one, they certainly didn't do their best, but it, they did do a good job of picking these super random people. Mm hmm out of a hat and even when she's introducing them it's like that might come in handy once like hey here's this guy he can climb anything it's like uh, okay so but we're fighting a like a crazy aztec god so 
might not need a rock climber. I'm just just gonna throw that out there. They have stairs in most of these buildings that we're gonna be going through, right? And and they're like Captain Boomerang. Like, okay, he has boomerangs, and for some reason, he always has beer, and no one knows <laughs> where he's where he's getting it from. And it, it's 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 quirky and it's it is fun. Yeah. I'll so, say it it is fun. <laughs> so so here's one thing I will say about them becoming a family and 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 I'm not I'm not saying that I'm totally excusing everything. <laughs> but they they do see that when you pull people together and they have a common goal that it can actually pull people together that have been on very opposing sides. So if it's something that has to be done, um, especially something, the basics and and necessities, i.e. surviving, that can really bond people together as a team in a way other things don't. And once again, I'm not saying that that's what would happen in this case, especially, I mean, there's so many nuances to these characters and they've been in so many probably so many life and death kinds of situations like this before. I don't know if it would be the same for them, especially because they don't have training together to, to bond them. But I could see at least a little bit of that. But yeah, I will agree that with does. you that it, it, it does seem like a long shot because of what he would lose if yeah. he didn't just shoot her. And I will say you're, you're absolutely right on that. Like when people have a common goal, suddenly, yeah, they do become closer just to kind of accomplish whatever this mission is and the mission that amanda waller always sends them on is this nigh impossible task and 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 so she just brings together a a random group of supervillains and say hey do this and my favorite part about it is in the movie she she puts this task force together after superman dies it's like oh man superman's dead what are we gonna do we're going to get ev- all of the bad villains and put them together and put a bomb in their head and make them do whatever we say. Like it, I would have loved to have been there in the pitch meeting for that. Like, hey, Amanda, so what do you need budgeting for for this next coming up year? <laughs> well, we all know Superman died. God rest his wonderful Kansas-born soul. But because he's dead... We need an alternative plan. Oh, so maybe try and make some of our soldiers into super soldiers? Eh, no, 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 no. Nothing like that. How about we take supervillains and then put bombs in their head and then blackmail them? Just, they got to do whatever we say. So, hmm. Okay, I don't want to sound like a supervillain right now, but I think it's no, just going to no. happen. This is my favorite. <laughs> I always love supervillain, Amelia. <laughs> So if I'm Amanda Waller and I have this problem where, okay, we had this super, super, super powered dude and we were lucky enough that somehow he's this like innocent Kansas like dude, uh, but he died. So I know that all this power is possible. I know that there are all these other people and it's not always going to go that well. And we're, we're trying to make everything work here. It's not a bad plan if your (laughs) ethics skew a certain direction to say okay well let's take the problem force essentially coerce the problem to work for us so they either work for us or they die and we don't have to feel guilty about it because technically we didn't execute them because they had a choice that's true and nobody it's as horrible as it is to say nobody misses them right right Nobody misses them, and if they fail the mission, they just blame it on supervillains. Exactly. So really, it's fair. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. It's skeezy. Yeah, there are a couple. There are a couple birds you're getting to kill with one stone there. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I mean, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I could see that getting approved. It, if it was done in the right level of privacy in the right way at the right time, right. Um, you know, unfortunately, some some dark decisions are made uh, at certain levels of things, and and you know, I, I'm sure many governments have made not so 
ethically wonderful decision. So I don't know this, this one, I, I see where it's coming from and I, I could see it getting passed, especially because Amanda Waller is good at what she does. So speaking of ethical decisions, oh, no. you're, you're the, you're the doctor here. The people that were coerced into being on the suicide squad. Yeah. You watch these movies. How many of them are in a mental state to be coerced and how many of them should be seeking mental, <laughs> mental mm. help? How many of them should be in a mental health facility? Like, do, do you think Nanawe King Shark agreed to be on the suicide squad? We find him and he's just holding a book upside down. <laughs> okay. So that's a fair point. Although I would say not necessarily mental health related. However, okay. that's an excellent point. So there are, uh, okay. I don't, I, I can speak from medical decisions, not g- government wants you to put a bomb in your head and go do stuff. But let, let's let's say that these these things are linked. <laughs> so right. there's decision making capacity. So are are you able to effectively take in information, process the information, and communicate your desires in terms of your medical decisions? And sometimes people lack decisional capacity. Sometimes it's a permanent thing. Sometimes it's a temporary thing. So uh, like if someone has a really significant mental health episode, for example, a person could lack capacity for a short period of time. Uh, Same could happen with something medical that happens. Um, The most obvious would be if, say, someone's unconscious. Um, Other examples might be someone has later stages of dementia. uh, They're very delirious. They're not able to take in all the information, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so there, I would, I would agree that there is information to suggest he may not have been fully aware and been able to take in and communicate effectively for, for them to know for sure if he was consenting, albeit I'm not really sure consent is what they were looking for. Right. He, he might not have been in the right mindset, unlike Polka Dot Man, who is oh, a man. who is a the just the the spitting image of of mental health right so polka dot man yes yes so uh <laughs> so polka dot man hmm let me think about him i hadn't really thought about it at the time so i love him i think oh yeah he was great yeah, i love polka dot man he was absolutely great but i mean even in mission control <laughs> uh, he's like we're all gonna die and he just goes i hope so i'm like wait 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 i don't know if he needs to go i don't (laughs) and so i think this obviously shows oh yeah she was meant to be a psychologist i'm like naturally drawn toward that like oh um yeah so yes he's like oh i hope so and and of course everyone's like oh no um and yeah so okay so essentially someone who it i mean you you only get bits and pieces of him but this poor guy seems like he probably has like really intense ptsd or something um he essentially was him and all of his siblings were experimented on by his mother who is desperate for them all to become superheroes. And, and he has like some weird virus or something where he like essentially has to like spit out polka dots every twice a day, I think or something. It's very strange. And he sees his mom everywhere, literally. And it's so hysterical in the show um, but you're right. Uh, it's they hit on it in these comedic ways. But yeah, I would say honestly, I think you're right. He's he's the one that probably, probably yeah, should be in a psychiatric facility. Uh, I mean, right. I don't know what he did and why he did it, but it seems like everything revolves around his mom pretty con- right. pr- pretty constantly throughout the whole thing. What what he focuses on what what brings him to act on things so yeah i think you hit the nail on the head with polka dot man oh poor guy now we have so all right so we have touched on the 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 villains that have been coerced we've touched on the villains that shouldn't that 
can't really be coerced, but somehow they're on the team. You know, we got the weasels and the polka dot mans, right? The Harley yeah, Quinns. Yeah, weasel, we don't, we don't know if the weasel consented either. Or if he even well, knew what was right. going on. <laughs> and they made that joke in the movie when, when Rick Flagg's talking. He's like, you know, I'm pretty sure he's agreed to do this. And he's mm-hmm. just over there just like licking himself. <laughs> but Rick Flagg is actually who I was going to touch on next. Ah. He was the person that did not have to be coerced. He so, is just in it. Well, he was right? coerced in the first one. Okay, yeah. In the first one, he... But in the first one, it was almost like he didn't even have to be coerced. He's like, oh my gosh, I have to save her. I love her. Like, it wasn't even... But do you remember how he met her? And and who was behind it and, and believed that he would form the attachment and therefore put him with yes. uh, the Enchantress uh, I ultimate? I did. I did forget how convoluted Amanda that first Waller. movie was. That <laughs> woman is freaking evil. Right. It, it, that's what, oh gosh, that's what makes it, it, she she has to be a very busy person, right? Because on one side, it's like, okay, I need to, I need to move all of these chess pieces to get him mm-hmm. to do what I want. And then, oh, Killer Croc wants BET. So <laughs> we can get him BET, make him fall in love with this person make sure the joker abandons her at this moment put this guy's daughter in front of him like it, it's a busy she, she <laughs> would have made an process. excellent she would have made an excellent wedding planner yeah maybe the red wedding that still hurts it does it sorry does. game and of thrones reference it, yeah, spoiler alert, the Red Wedding isn't a normal wedding. That's all I'll say. It, what? Something in Game of Thrones doesn't go as expected? That's shocking. Right, right. But yeah, it's, yeah, it, which, yeah, oh gosh, talk about a Suicide Squad there, right? Yeah, oh, jeez. Uh, but yeah, so Rick Flagg, yeah, so he is very interesting because he just, he leads this team. And what's funny is before he led the team in the comic books, his dad led the team. So there's Rick Flagg yeah. and there's Rick Flagg Jr., right? Uh-huh. And he just kind of leads this team and it's like, you don't do what I say, I'll kill you. Like, he's just this this badass. It's just like, oh man, we, we need at least one of those, right? Normally in the Suicide Squad movies, we get three, but <laughs> we need at least one. And he's the guy and he wears orange shirt and sticks out like a sore thumb and he's the leader uh what does it take him to go on these missions because what's Mm -hmm. so funny is we see in almost all of them that it's unplanned like there's something Mm -hmm. that he doesn't even know they brief him on the mission and just leave two-thirds of it out yeah there is this odd thing about him and and so okay i mean I, I I have experience working with veterans and people who have been in the military, but I don't really have experience with like special forces and things like that. So admittedly, I, I'm lacking in knowledge with, with some of this, but I would expect this to be very difficult for him. It's almost like it, it almost seems like you're taking the 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 person trained for the military, but also throwing in kind of like spy stuff. Where it's like, go by the seat of your pants and every man for himself or every person for themselves. And it is kind of this weird concoction that, yeah, it has to be really hard for someone trained military where there's the hierarchy and you listen to the person that comes above you in the hierarchy and you're, you train together and there tends to be, let's just say a lot more predictability than you would have with these teams. So I don't know if like special forces or anything like that would, would shift in any way. Um, but yeah, I, I would imagine this being very difficult. It makes more sense to me if there's some sort of explanation behind it, especially because um, these people are getting thrown out there to die if that happens. Oh, well. And so you wouldn't think he'd, he'd want to be involved in that, but but it makes sense when there's some addition to that story. So if it's, for example, his his father did it before him, there's a lot of legacy stuff, um, like right. a lot of military families, for example. So I could see there being kind of a legacy thing there. Or in the movies where for the first one, he himself is, is coerced essentially so um, amanda gets amanda waller gets him to fall for someone that she has captive and is like all right well if if you want her to do okay if you want to help her you help me 
Um, but the second the second movie, they don't really. I don't know. They didn't really tie the two together uh, in terms of no, that. They did but... because the the two movies were definitely kind of a soft reboot. Because this the Rick Flag we got in the second movie is not in any way the same Rick Flag we got in the first movie. Mm-hmm. He he's closer. He's he's closer to being a member, like fitting in with the Suicide Squad. Which which you know. I suppose that makes sense, though, given oh, yeah. everything he went through with the Enchantress, and I forget the name of the woman he was with who would June become... Moon. June Moon. June Moon. So yes. you know, I guess all of that could make sense, and and yeah, who knows what happened in between? But you're right; it, he he is he's definitely acclimated more to it in the second one. Um, but it's interesting because. Yeah, it, it's like, okay, so you need someone you can trust to kind of oversee everything. And yet, they had two squads in the second movie, and they only oh. had one Rick Flag, <laughs> And so it almost feels like he is also pretty dispensable, which I think he figured out by the end. Yeah, and well, it was funny because so as soon as they announced this movie, the, the second one, I saw how many people were in it. And my first thought was, ooh, they're going to kill a lot of them off. <laughs> and and even in the trailer, you would see one team, but then all the dialogue and stuff would be with another team. And so instantly, I guessed that they were going to pull a Death Proof. Like in the movie Death Proof, <laughs> they introduced the entire cast of characters. And for the first 30 minutes, you're following them. And then every single one of them just dies a horrible oh, death and then it's like oh yeah press reset and i love when they do looky loose like that they did it also in the first nightmare on elm street movie like they introduce mm. the girl it's like oh she's gonna be our main character and then boom she dies a horrible painful death and then they start the movie and and that's what happened here this like, oh, i look. hate stuff like that don't don't tear my heart to shreds. So I so I, I knew it. I, I just had a feeling because <laughs> when they introduced like Nathan Fillion's character that could like detach his arms and slap people. Oh, yeah, so like... freaking weird. <laughs> right. <laughs> they introduced all these random characters. I was like, oh man, there's no way. Like there's there's no way they're gonna live. And oh my gosh. I don't think I it's been a long time since I laughed as hard as when Weasel just seemingly drowned. <laughs> <laughs> hitting hitting the the water so i i have something else that i wanted to talk about today that i don't know if it lines up but it might be a piece of it for rick flag okay so you know i was talking about cognitive dissonance and how uh sometimes we do things that conflict with what we might want or value or believe in and so that discomfort and so you see a lot of that in the first movie. And then he seems to be embracing things pretty readily in the second one. So I also wonder if there could be some effort justification for him. Okay. So an example of this would be, um, so they, they uh, I'll, I'll talk about another experiment they did. So they, they had these women and um, they had to they had to read some sort of snippet in order to join a group. And I forget what one of them was. It was something that wasn't embarrassing. Uh, But the other group, they had to read out loud to people. It was like some like sexually explicit paragraph. So it like was embarrassing Mm -hmm. to read out loud. And so what they found was that the people who had to do something embarrassing to get into the group actually ended up saying that they enjoyed the group, they appreciated and valued the group more. So essentially, they went through more to connect with that group, and therefore, they valued the group more. Huh. So I wonder if some of that could also be playing into it, because, I mean, gosh knows, he put in so much effort. He's doing all of this for stuff that it's unclear if he really believes in, aside from the woman he loves, of course. Um, but if you're putting in more and more and more effort and it's not something that you feel great about to some extent, if you're putting that effort, you're trying to explain away that effort. And so some of it could be that the more he was committed, it's kind of like, you know, like a bad relationship where it's not going great, but you've put in so much time and energy and effort anyway, and you don't know if it's going to get any better. So you keep going. (laughs) Oh yeah. And you kind of, it's almost like you 
it, it, well, what's and what's strange about that is I feel like whenever that happens, even if it's not your fault, you shift the blame to it being your fault. Mm, that can happen. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, it'll depend. Once again, think about the $1 versus the $20, where if there's enough going on outside of you, or it's something that is just particularly hard for you to potentially accept about yourself, you might be very focused on things external to yourself as being the reason. So, well, I did that because of the bomb in my head or because of the da-da-da or whatever it might be. But yeah, another thing that can happen is absolutely you look within yourself and you adjust internally or you explain things based on you and kind of adjusting your viewpoint of yourself and and the role you played in it. You brought up cognitive dissonance and, you know, I am, I am of course not the psych expert of this show. I just read things. (laughs) Would, would the cognitive dissonance definition fit with the character Peacemaker and and his motives for doing things because it, it he when when he's talking he sounds so ridiculous like I, I I want peace and I'm willing to kill as many men women and children as necessary to get it and that sounds so ridiculous and so I was gonna ask hmm. is cognitive dissonance the word or is there a whole nother category for <laughs> his character because he's even he's like he was Amanda Waller's secret weapon all along yeah in this second movie Hmm. that's a good question so one of the things that has me thinking that no it's not is it seems like his his ethics line up really more along the lines of Amanda Waller where for him oh yeah he, he has a certain definition of peace and it takes a lack of peace to in order to obtain ob- obtain the larger peace. However, it is a confusing logical structure that that means you might be right that it actually might be some some cognitive dissonance and so sometimes too we have confirmation bias and we ignore information available to us because it's it's it doesn't line up with what we believe and what is what we perceive to be happening and so sometimes we do a lot of like weird logic somersaults that don't entirely make sense and this is this happens for everybody not not just people who like have anxiety or psychosis or anything like that just the human brain we will look for things that confirm our bias, confirm what we believe, and disconfirm other things that we don't believe it is. So, you know, and, and that is it, it, that is often kind of tied to cognitive dissonance and in and, and those same uh, terms. So, mm-hmm. you know, you might be right because, you're, yeah, he, he does seem to do some weird logic flips where he doesn't fully explain it. He just kind of... It's like water off the duck's back where it's like, I'm willing to kill every living thing if it means peace. So you might, yeah, you might be right. And actually that might be why the show Peacemaker is so interesting because I loved it. It was so good. It was so good. Oh man. Loved it. Because speaking of like when, when you, and, and honestly, that's one of the things that makes the suicide squad so interesting is because when you look at every character by themselves which in these movies a lot of times you do get a little snippet of each character by themselves yeah they all have very different motives but want the same thing it's certainly your your definition of a ragtag team and you see ragtag team movies all the time you know magnificent seven uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, like you just there, it's it's certainly a common theme for ragtag teams. But with this, they are coerced or forced into it mm-hmm. instead of, oh, you want what I want, let's do this, right? Let's form a <laughs> temporary alliance. It's like no, we have a bomb in our head. We're definitely aligned, and not only that, but by the end, every time, even though. At the beginning, they describe him as the worst of the worst and show the 
or or you hear about the the terrible things that they've done and at the end no matter what it is they've done it seems like it pales in comparison to mm-hmm. what Amanda Waller is willing to do. Well, and that's that's something I actually really do appreciate about this stuff is that I mean, I've not met every person in the world by any means and there's a continuum of pretty much everything in life and and so where we might put people on the spectrum of like good or not so good. (laughs) But, you know, I've yet to, to meet a person who you couldn't find one single good or redeemable thing about them. Now, does it outweigh all the other stuff? You know, I I can't answer that. Uh, And I'm not saying that that's always the case per se, but we do have this tendency to want to put evil in a box because we feel safer that way. The people that do bad things, they go in this box over here. And I do like that Suicide Squad really complicates that picture where yes. these characters, no, you don't. Well, okay. I'm sure some people are like, I would want to be friends with these these people. But most of us probably like, okay, it would not be the best idea to be friends with these people. And at the same time, there are qualities that we're drawn toward and that we enjoy about them and that we see as a positive that, yeah, you might not have seen at the get-go. And on the flip side, you see someone, you see multiple people. You were mentioning Peacemaker. I would I would loop him in here too, where you also see people who it, at least are, are claiming and, and seemingly are trying to do things for quote-unquote good or the better of things and yet end up doing very nefarious stuff that, like you said, makes them comparable to what we might put in the evil box or the oh my gosh. box. Oh my gosh, and that's that's so true. And it's funny because it's what these movies do is it puts you behind the protagonist, whoever mm. it may be. And if you were the protagonist in this movie, you could put this camera behind anybody and it's like, oh, I understand why that person's doing that. And what's funny is even in the second movie, you could put that, that, that protagonist camera behind the ultimate villain in that starro he was just chilling out in space minding his own business and then they came and grabbed him and he fought back right and Mm -hmm. and essentially that's what made him the bad guy yeah and and these things often aren't simple and i and i think that that's why it's scary to look at because if someone is just bad because they're bad because they're bad that in some ways is easier to accept than we each might end up being the villain depending on the circumstances. Wow. Yeah, that's a very good point. Very good point. We got deep today. We did. We did with the Suicide Squad, which I I just, I laugh every time at it. It's like, I I was so excited going into it. It's like, today I'm going to talk about Weasel. And it's going to be great, <laughs> right? Uh, but oh, uh, so do uh, do we have a mindful nerd moment for today? We do. All right. So here's what I was thinking. Because I was like, oh, geez, I don't know what to do here. Um, so I was just thinking about what it would be like to be in the Suicide Squad. And coercion usually, hmm. You know, makes people angry, <laughs> being coerced into things you don't want to do. Um, and so I thought maybe we could do a little bit of a uh, mindful nerd moment for anger. Ooh. Yes. So Ooh. essentially, you know, putting ourselves into the mindset of someone on the Suicide Squad where, okay, Amanda Waller, she's done her whole spiel. She's zapped you with your little bomb. You've got the bomb in your neck. You're seething, understandably so. So it, it's not that it's it, it's not that it's abnormal or that you shouldn't feel angry. It's that, I mean, it makes sense that you're feeling angry. And, okay, so you leave Amanda Waller. You're on the uh, uh, the aircraft going wherever you're going to be dropped off somewhere. And you're still seething. But guess what? Amanda Waller's not there. So you're just seething in in all of the anger. And it's just kind of sitting with you. And it might just keep building and building and building. It might 
cause you to maybe do things that make things even worse for you, like reacting to things without thinking it through so that you, this already difficult situation goes worse for you. So how to just try and manage that anger while you're sitting there waiting for the mission to start without it just kind of cycling, getting bigger and bigger and just getting in your way when Amanda Waller's not even there for you to yell at her. So she's not even going to know. So that's what I was thinking, just to put you in the mindset. All right. Let's All right. Do it. So as, yes, as per usual, get comfortable, figure out how you want to sit. And you want to sit in a comfortable yet alert position. So, you know, you don't want to be slouched over or anything. Um, have your hands resting comfortably. Usually the best place is at your sides or just in your lap. And if you're comfortable, gently closing your eyes, or you can just relax them and not focus on anything in particular. And first, just check in with your body. Notice where it's making contact with, with your seat. Just notice where you feel pressure in the body, not paying any particular attention to anything, just kind of noticing what it's like to sit. And let's take some deep breaths, completely filling up your lungs all the way, holding it for a second, and then completely letting that breath out, releasing all the air out of your lungs. And then do that one or two more times to just help us center into the mindful nerd moment. And now I want you to think to that time I was describing. You're on the aircraft, you're part of the suicide squad, and you're experiencing that, that anger that you feel with what Amanda Waller has, has done, what she's told you, what she's done, and where you're going. And just envision taking the experience of what happened, allowing yourself to feel the anger. Allow it to get strong while keeping it in a safe zone. So not getting to a point where you feel the urge to get up and scream or, or jump around, but rather just allowing the feeling of anger that comes with this situation. And notice what arises. You might notice other emotions like sadness or fear. For now, see if you can stay with the anger. And notice where in your body you experience the anger. Explore the feeling. You may be tempted to try and push it away. Instead, investigate it. Notice how it feels. Notice any large or subtle sensations in your body. And when you notice a feeling that comes with anger, look into it and see whether it seems to get larger or smaller in intensity? Does it change or move? What temperatures or pressure or other sensations you might feel in your body when you notice the anger? And now let's practice bringing compassion to the anger. The feeling of anger is normal. It's a part of being human. We all experience anger at times. See if you can cradle your own anger as if you were a mother cradling a newborn. Notice what happens if you hold it with tenderness and care. And when you're ready, say goodbye to the feeling. Allow it to leave you. Thank it for it's the experience that you had and allow it to leave you. And as you do, slowly bring your attention back to your breath and allow your emotions to settle into the space of your breathing. Breathing in, filling your lungs all the way holding it for a moment and exhaling out. 
And allow yourself one more breath. A deep breath in, filling the lungs, holding it for a moment, and then releasing that breath. And with it, allowing your emotions to continue to settle. And when you're ready, start moving a bit. Get your body used to being back here. You're not on the aircraft anymore. You've gotten rid of Amanda Waller and that pesky bomb in your head. And you can open your eyes, refocus, and we can wrap up this podcast episode. Okay. How was that one? It was good. It was good. The thing that's so, it's, I feel like it's difficult to be mindful when you're angry about something. I mean, the mm-hmm. same thing goes for when you're in a state of fear or anxiety, but there's something that's just different about anger. It's, it's just, it's, it's hard to calm down. It really is. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, it's hard to calm down when you're just at rage and it feels farther away from serenity than the others. I think that's the, Mm. that's, that's how it, that's how it feels. I I think that's, and I think that, but at the same time, I, I realize though that that goes for, that's different for everyone sure yeah there are things that differ for everyone and you're also making a great point i mean think about it anger is meant to be activating right so think about one of the things that i I said during the mindfulness exercise because sometimes because it can be so activating because of how anger can be and for some people they might struggle when anger gets really heightened to not end up aggressing or doing something that might be harmful to themselves or someone else so a lot of times people might try and push it down but the problem is is then we can't process through that emotion and allow ourselves to move forward and and anger tells us something just like sadness does just like excitement and all of them but you're right the the activation part of it can make it really hard to be mindful at the same time so when i'm just when you say that anger is activating, are you talking about as far as the actions coming afterwards? Like, for example, fear can make someone either super still or run away versus anger pushing mm. someone towards something? Yeah. So so fear can push someone toward. Different people have different responses. There's right. fight, flight, or freeze. Fight or flight. Right. Okay. Yep. Yes. Uh, so w- which you were just talking about. Um, when it comes to anger, though, And once again, it varies based on the person. Some people internalize their anger. But in general, anger pushes us to act and to change something about the situation we're in. Sure. So, yeah. So oftentimes, it's something that really pushes us to change something. Now, for some people, they might externalize it or try and change what's going on around them. Other people might be more prone to internalizing or... Uh, trying to change something within themselves. And probably the best balance is something that does both. Right. Yeah. So yes, a hard one to do. And and once again, this is something where sometimes it's helpful to think, imagine yourself in someone else's shoes to kind of test something out because it's a lot easier to say, okay, how do I observe this anger if we're looking at like a, like a scenario like we did today versus you're in the moment angry at something someone just did to you you're still feeling everything intensely that's going to be the hardest time to use the mindfulness it's better to practice with okay let me think about something that's happened before that i have a little distance from you know it's 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 so funny because we're we're still in this this comic book universe and i'm like man so instead of anger i should have peace and immediately i thought about peacemaker and i'm like no 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 we're up oh, nope we're back we're back on the wrong side again that's that's not where we're supposed to be <laughs> well and and that's the thing is I, i'm not a fan of shoulds most most therapists okay. are not a fan of shoulds because shoulds tend to bring about shame and and guilt and i mean what is a should what 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 do we really I, yeah. mean by i should be one way versus another you are you are i guess it is kind of an absolute saying the word should isn't it? it, Yeah. It's as if saying my reality is wrong. It's like, well, my reality is my reality right now, whether it's the best for me or not. 
and and sometimes anger is necessary it's helpful and and while i think it, it gets very symbolic with what you were talking about with peacemaker exactly i i don't know anyone who's at peace all of the time and once again anger it tells us something now, do we, do we need to find ways to be able to listen to it effectively and respond to it effectively? Absolutely. I'm not saying that anger can't, you know, end up getting away from us and, and, you know, can't get us into trouble. But it's our response to the anger that tends to do that rather than the anger itself. Gotcha. So, yeah, anger is not a problem. But, you know, people can struggle with with being able to to manage it, especially if they if someone just has a lot of that anger happening for them. Okay, so I'm walking away with it's not being angry that's the problem; it's what you do with it. Nice. Thanks for nerding out with us. I'm clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown. You can find me at Crafting the Mind on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm comic enthusiast and nerd aficionado Keaton Hopkins. You can find me and my friends' movie reviews and reaction videos at teamjvs.com or on YouTube at teamjvs. For more information on this and other topics, check out our website at bat-therapy.com. To keep current on episodes and other updates, subscribe to our Bat Therapy YouTube channel or follow us on social media. We'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.